Hey team, welcome back and welcome to episode 18 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So you decide you want to buy the practice. You need to also decide if you like and love the real estate enough to buy it. What if buying the real estate isn't an option? These can definitely be tough questions and ones that can impact the growth and opportunity of your practice and the profitability, which is really what matters. So today we're going to touch on when to buy, when not to buy, what lease options you want to make sure are included, and everything real estate. So, Mr. Loretto, how are you? What's up, Christy Ratcliffe? (laughs) How are you? I'm good. I thought we'd start today with another little fun fact about ourselves and make it real estate related. So uh, let's talk about real estate. How many houses have you had? Do you like real estate? You know, what's your real estate history? So mom and I grew up in a a little 900 square foot house in Oak Cliff, one bathroom, three three bedrooms. We upgraded to the less drive-by shooting house in Oak Cliff. <laughs> um, <laughs> that one was free. that one actually had two baths, so we definitely made the the big upgrade there. So, two houses in Dallas. Then I went off to college and I had multiple apartments. Then I had did a little uh, couch surfing a little bit along the way when I was in between the yep. spots. Mm-hmm. Came back to Dallas and then had four more apartments. Got married, owned a house. Then I got another house and then. I got the divorce, and then I had a lease, and then I had a townhome, and then I had another home. So I have counted 17 different places I have lived. On uh, in my, the move, Loretto. <laughs> in my 50 you. years. So I'm pretty much in and out of spot every three years. Well, I think that's impressive. I think that my children will be real estate agents when they grow up. Okay. Our favorite activity is to you go to are. open houses on Sundays. I'm super nosy. That's really what it is. I just like to see other people's houses. So I have lived, I counted up, I've done 11 homes, so not quite as many as on the move Loretto, but I have moved four times in the last 11 years and I've owned all those homes. So I've spent a lot of money on a lot of really silly stuff, but this Real estate agents included. This, yes, this house, (laughs) I'm putting a pool in currently. It's the forever house. Yes. I told Chris, I don't really care what happens. We're dying in this yeah, home. Yeah. So We got some real estate experience. <laughs> yes, we do. So let's talk about practice real estate, okay. which is why we're here to talk about today. So we always start with the why, right? Yes. I think the why is actually not the most interesting part of this one. So we'll just kind of get it out of the way in the beginning. Like, why do I want to buy the real estate? Well, clearly there's a financial benefit if it makes sense. Sure. Financially, you're building equity in something. You're paying yourself instead of the landlord. And you have kind of an asset, hopefully that makes sense to sell down the road when you sell the practice. But what would make someone want to buy a practice, right? So when we get these phone calls, you know, I think that you've got to go through these series of questions. So the questions are always, tell me about the practice, the collections, the overhead, you know, tell me about the doctor wanting to stay back in the practice. Tell me what's the deal with the real estate, you know, lease. If it comes down to when there's something they want to purchase the real estate, I was like, what do you think? I'm like, well, I don't know yet. I mean, I need you to sell me mm-hmm. on this real estate. I need you to tell me, Charles, it's perfect. It's at the corner of A and B. It's a uh, six operatory. It's got room for the seventh op. It's doing maybe a million dollars. And I'm, my spouse is about ready to finish this GPR program. And between the two of us, we should be able to really grow this practice. It's in the hometown. It's right next to where we want to build our home or it's right next to our, our families. 
it's an amazing. So I need for you to basically sell me on the real estate because I'm not going to go look at your practice real estate in Rhode Island. I'm mm-hmm. going to look at your practice opportunity right. via tax returns and profit and loss statements that I can help you analyze that piece of real estate. But I need you to simply sell me on the real estate as well. And I can help you with kind of the opportunity. And we'll talk about that a little bit more you know, in depth. But First of all, we need to look at it. We need to kind of see the opportunity, but I need you to sell me on it. Do you like it? Do you love it? Right. Right? Just like the practice. And I think that's right. I mean, I think the things that we always ask people to tell us, just like you've kind of mentioned, is it an up-and-coming area? Is it right next to a Trader Joe's and it's on a corner lot with lots of patient visibility and there's no other dental practices in the area? You know, is it good signage, good visibility? We had a practice who the practice she bought was in a bright yellow house and it was like iconic in in the neighborhood. And so, you know, just the building itself was a town staple. You know, that plays well. Or are you, you know, in Frisco, you know, a big suburb north of Dallas and everything's brand new and that wouldn't play well and you need the new construction area that's in the best part of town. So you have to tell us what that building looks like, why you want to own it. So that we can be behind it and be as excited as you are, right? You know, I love this part of, uh, because, you know, some of this for our audience, we probably prep 20 or 30 minutes on these recordings, but I just thought of an amazing story of somebody that we both worked with and helped, and he purchased a fire station. And what? Yes. You remember, you remember the no. uh, Zepito in uh, the Northeast? He purchased a fire station, so he left the, you know, the pole, the little emergency sliding pole down in in the location. So it was really cool. Uh, Do you have a secret employee that I don't know about? I don't remember this story. I feel like I should remember this story. I'm old. Maybe it was, maybe maybe I'm going back five or six years, but I did help him analyze. That's uh, so cool. And so it was perfect for a pediatric practice, you know, so just to have that because now all of a sudden it's like, Oh, you know, we're going here and it's the old fire station. So it's a great story. So there are times that maybe that extra investment on that piece of real Mm -hmm. estate definitely makes sense. So, you know, one of the things you have to think about with the space, even if it has all these wonderful things, right. But the size of the space matters for what your goals are for your practice. Right. So talk to me about that. Okay. So greatest example would be, let's first start with a pediatric practice. A pediatric practice, it's going to grow so much because it's such an underserved profession. So I might want to lease a pediatric practice first. I might want to do a four-chair, open bay, you know, two-quiet room, 2,400 square foot start. Then as this thing continues to grow, I may have the vision. I want to put the second pediatric dentist in. I may want to, mm-hmm. at that point, be cramped. I want to build something big enough maybe for the orthodontist or maybe build something big enough for my GP that can, you know, transition my younger people out. So I've really got to think big kind of entrepreneur if I'm in that pediatric role. If I'm in a maybe, you know, Salt Lake City just super competitive and I'm in a four-chair practice, I may never, ever be able to fill those four chairs and basically be able to do a million-plus collection. So I may not be as concerned in that type of environment. So I think one of the things that we do a really good job is really trying to dive into what that vision is for those young people and be able to make some accurate projections and to make sure that we don't overbuy as far as Mm -hmm. real estate or we don't under, you know, we don't Mm -hmm. buy a piece of real estate just because I believe in equity, you know, and we talked about those those benefits you talked about, but if it's not going to be able to help us grow our business of dentistry, it can basically handcuff us. And so that's something that 
you know, it's super important. It's not about the equity of the business. It's about making sure the facility big enough that we can grow. Yeah. And we hear a lot from maybe GPs and they have a three out practice and the young buyers coming in and the schedule's full, it's doing well, but they maybe see, oh, well, they refer out all their endo and they refer right. out all these things and I can keep those in house. Well, that's great. But is three chairs enough to do that? Is there not room to expand? If there's not, then you can't do the things you want to do. And again, you've kind of handcuffed yourself and kind of strapped the growth of your practice to the size of your space. And so you want to make sure you're kind of thinking maybe a step ahead of what's your end goal and does this space allow me to do that? And maybe the space isn't something you buy and it's something you lease for five, six years and then you move to another space or you build. Right. So in that three chair practice, let's say it's doing really well, uh, 800,000 collections. And yes, like you said, all these procedures are being booked out and it's just a one hygiene chair practice. So maybe we have room for that fourth chair. But now also we're going to sign ourselves up for a 10 year lease. You're basically going to limit your growth of this business. You might get that four chair practice up into the million one or two. But what if it had the chance to really grow to a number beyond that? And what if you had the chance to bring in an associate and really take this practice from an 800 collection to a 2 million? You're going to be handcuffed because of that space. Yeah. So in that situation, again, we just need to know you, kind of your vision, what the opportunity of this business. We look at this kind of demo practice as a stock for us to be able to analyze the stock and what do we think it's going to grow to with you coming into this mix and us to kind of solve that real estate problem. Yeah. With you. And we don't want to also be handcuffed to a large mortgage or lease payment for the Taj Mahal that the seller has built that you never have an intention of filling, right? The right. 12 op practice that can handle $4 million worth. Are you never going to be that person to create that $4 million practice and don't buy the million dollar real estate? Yeah. So two examples there, we talked about the three chair practice. So definitely on the 12 chair practice, You've got this, typically guys. Guys are the ones that overbuild. Women, they're super <laughs> smart. They would never do this, but guys make mistakes. It's in our DNA. DNA. <laughs> um, so they build these Taj Mahals, this 12 thing. They, they, they believe, build it, will come. And they had a nice $1 million practice, and then all of a sudden they have invested $2 million in this beautiful spot. Now they're getting tired. It didn't grow, and they just want to get out of it. And so they want to sell you this beautiful 12 chair, not just 12 equipped, 12 chairs installed, computers, everything is beautiful. It looks amazing, but that's going to come with a significant debt. It's going to come with a significant liability. So a 12 chair practice, I did a quick math on it. You could do four, four and a half million of collections out of those chairs. It's doing a million. You have to quadruple it just to mm-hmm. fill it up. So I'm not excited about either A, signing on for a lease that's that big, or B, signing on for maybe the investment of a million five or a million eight or two, whatever it might be, to purchase that real estate. So there's certainly a balance here of what, balance. what we're purchasing. So clearly, if you want to buy, that's great, right? What if you want to buy, but you can't? Either financially you can't, emotionally, like the right. debt is just too much. What would you say to that person who says, I know I want to, but I can't? Right. We use this <laughs> in the, the lectures we give on the why speech. And one of the slides is that there is this practice that's for sale. Collections look good. Overhead looks good. The price looks good. But they're nervous about the purchase of the real estate. They're nervous about the purchase of the real estate because they're $400,000 of adult school debt. Mm-hmm. They now are going to purchase this practice for four or $500,000. 
they have a home debt or they're going to purchase a home of another four or five hundred thousand dollars. They're already a million, three million, four. Debt, debt, debt. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I, I just can't, Charles, I just can't purchase, I take more debt on, you know, for this piece of real estate. So I'm just going to lease. And so my response there is, thank you for your emotional response of that you don't want to purchase it. But if you tell me you like and love it, and you tell me that this makes financial sense, but your emotions say you just can't, then we need to try to remove those emotions. And at minimum, let's discuss it. And so there's two things that we want to look at. And let's take a look at a $500,000 piece of real estate. A $500,000 piece of real estate will more than likely have some type of lease payment associated. Mm -hmm. So, hey, you want to lease this thing? Great. It's going to be $4,500 a month for the next 10 years. Or you can purchase it for $500,000. Well, if you were to take a $4,500, you know, lease and, you know, multiply that on this example of 120 months, because that's on a 10-year basis, you're basically saying, hey, I don't mind giving you $540,000 of rent payment on a building that's worth $500,000. To me, the guy in Plano, Texas, the gal in Plano, Texas, mm-hmm. as we analyze these things, it wouldn't make sense. Yeah. So you be paying someone. You, you, why not pay yourself? Yeah. Okay. So then what we're going to do, again, the value in the buyer representation, have someone look at this for you, is we may lease it, okay, mm-hmm. because you may not have 15% liquidity for down payment. Yes. So remember, when you're purchasing a business, the bank will give you 100% financing. Mm-hmm. So the million dollar practice that's for sale at 800000 they will give you all the $800,000. You need liquidity to show them mm-hmm. that you're a good steward of your money. There, You need liquidity to show them that, hey, you can do the work, the value of the business looks good, your credit score looks good. So they're going to give you this 800000 But the separate institution or a separate division of the same institution that you borrowed the money for from the practice is now going to evaluate you as a real estate investor. So we're going to need 15% down payment. So now all of a sudden that $500,000 would require you to come up with $75,000. If you don't have that $75,000 down payment, what we're going to do is we're going to lease this facility for this $4,500 in this example. Then the next thing we're going to do is have a clause. And that clause is going to say, first right of refusal, when you do come up with this deposit, mm-hmm. we can now agree upon a fair price that you can purchase this piece of real estate as soon as you can. Yep. Okay. Not at the end of 10 years, not at the end of five years, but as soon as we can. So we're going to work with you and we're going to work with that maybe landlord on how this process is going to work. Yep. One more thing I want to say here. You have the ability to negotiate this real estate purchase at the time that we're negotiating and uh, agreeing upon the price of the practice. If you choose to negotiate and agree upon the $800,000 price and the million-dollar practice, then you choose to negotiate the real estate second, you're losing control. Yeah. So you, you want to be able to always package those things back and forth and talk about the real estate, the work back agreement, the price, the asset allocation. The whole they all come in a package. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely true. And I think that for, there's a couple things here. First, as a buyer, I want to buy it, but I can't financially. Sometimes a bank will say, 
even if you have the 15%, maybe we just think that's a lot of risk and we don't want you to buy it yet, right? But they will say, okay, come back to us a year, show the practice stability, and then we'll let you buy it then. So we see a lot of buyers have that happen as well. And that's okay. But having these protections and kind of decreasing your risk and mitigating your risk in the lease on the front end will help ensure you're the person that buys the building when that building is sold. Because the last thing you want to do is have the seller sell it to someone else. And now you have a landlord for life instead of being your own landlord. So that right of first refusal, the option to purchase, making sure that you determine it's going to be at fair market value. What happens if you disagree on fair market value, whenever that is, those are all important things to make sure included in your lease on the front end so that you and seller are on the same page about what's going to happen with that real estate. Speaking of being emotional and kind of the fair market value and those things coming into play, we had a client who bought a big ortho practice, had multiple locations, seller was a stickler on the lease and wanted a lease rate because of the size of the practice. The lender said, we're not going to give you the real estate monies now. Come back to us after you've been in the practice. And so the lease rate that the seller was putting forth was like 50% over fair market value. It was something right. like very high, right? right. And so the, the buyer was very determined to buy that real estate as soon as possible. He was able to go in six months after he bought the practice and go get the money for the real estate. And what I think is probably the biggest kind of like crazy thing about this is he went in and basically took three million more dollars of debt within mm-hmm. six months of buying a how big was a practice? It was a four million four million collection, million yeah, collection yeah. right? So emotionally, most people would be like, I don't want that debt, right? But he was able to decrease his profitability. Now he had two assets. So financially, he knew he was not going to be moving that practice. He liked and loved the real estate. So he was willing to take on that $3 million of debt. He was able to increase his profitability all by just taking control of that real estate. Yes, this is a massive practice. And this is a massive example, but it, it shows the point that the bank actually lent a three-year person just graduated from an ortho residency $6 million. And they first loaned the three million dollars for the practice because it was a four million dollar practice, and he was doing you know almost all of the work. It made two million dollars. He had the liquidity to potentially purchase the practice, but it was such a big number that it made the bank a little nervous. And so after six months, and when you make whatever two million dollars a year, and all of a sudden you're making you know whatever $160,000 mm-hmm. a month and you all of a sudden now can put maybe 20% down on the piece of real estate they gave them the money yeah and so like i said the banks will they're going to give you the money as long as it makes financial sense to them it made financial sense to them to allow this young person to overpay mm-hmm. in lease payments yep why because he still made $2 million. Yeah. Separate entity looked at it from the real estate and said, we don't feel comfortable because uh, you got 15. We feel comfortable if you got 20 or 25% down. We, we feel that we can do that transaction. So what we do, we had him go to work, you know, not even prepay any of his taxes, just build the cash, show the bank, put the money down, buy the real estate. Yeah. And I mean, that's totally can be the opposite if your practice you're buying has tighter cash flows. You're only netting 220 annually because the practice you need to grow it then the difference between 28 and 23 dollars a square foot can make a huge difference in your cash flows i mean it could be 10 or fifteen thousand dollars and could still be the reason a bank says yes or no and so they may have more conditions on what that lease payment's going to be you might not have as much flexibility in that negotiation yeah yeah no doubt it's interesting there's times at the banks that we work with 
that they will get up in the grill. Of, <laughs> let's figure out if it's 23 or $28 a square foot and this is the fair market value or not. There's times they don't even look at it because they're like, the cash is amazing. Yeah. This, this buyer has an 800 credit score. They got $100,000 of liquidity. Uh, they can do the work and it makes three or $400,000. They don't care about yeah. the lease You may all. care principally. Yeah. Now, right? Exactly. Now, but you may go back it, yeah. and forth and we're working through it, but sometimes it's, it's you, either yeah. you or the bank and we just got to be able to remove, again, the emotion from some of these decisions and say, who cares? Yeah. In this example, if we're overpaying a rent, who cares if it's not exactly perfect because look at your opportunity that's in front of you. Yeah, absolutely. So there are times, though, when you don't want to buy the building. You don't even want to be in the space that's being leased currently, right? Absolutely. This happens a lot when it's potentially, one example I'm thinking of, it's those old medical complexes where you used to see tons of doctors and dentists. Yep. They're in the very back corner. Half of it's vacant now. Yep. It's old. What do we do in that situation? Well, remember that opening, you know, tell me about the real estate. And you're like, I hate it. Okay, so <laughs> so if, if our opening is that we hate it, we need to try to figure out what we're going to do to get out of it. And so, you know, kind of a couple of examples here. I always say is what else you got? Yeah. You know? What else are you dealing with? And so I've looked for six months or six years this is the only practice that's available, then let's try to figure it out. Mm-hmm. But if I've got four different opportunities that we're looking at, and this just happens to be one of the deals, then let's just move on. Now, there are times that I am going to tell you that I know you hate the real estate, but it is that crappy location, the back of the medical, you know, mm-hmm. comp- super hard to see, horrible signage. But tell me more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Charles, it's actually a million-dollar practice. It has a crazy overhead of 40%. Or maybe you don't know that. I look at the tax returns, and I help you determine it. It's got a 40% mm-hmm. overhead. It makes $600,000. The point is there are 1,800 active patients that drive to the crappy location. They're driving in the back that don't have the signage. And we might want to purchase it because it makes $600,000. It makes $500,000. It makes $400,000. And right now as an associate, you make one hundred and fifty dollars or whatever your number it is. We can get in there. And so let's start to figure out perhaps how we can purchase this, deal with the not great location. Maybe we're going to sign and get in there for less than five years. Mm -hmm. We invest a small amount to make our life comfortable over the next five years. And then from that point, let's game plan on going to build some beautiful, you know, instead of 1,800 square feet, maybe it's 2,500 square feet facility. Maybe it's going to be a million dollars. Maybe we're going to spend more in rent, but it's going to be perfect. Yeah. Uh, Or go lease something that's nicer, that's better at the corner of A and B. So I think the the point of this is cash flow, I think, solves a lot of our problems and allows for a lot more flexibility kind of for our future. And I think on the flip side here, we also hear from a lot of sellers who are looking to transition and their lease is up for renewal. And there's a lot of like, oh, my lease is up. I need to sell within the next six months because my lease is going to be up and I don't want to sign. I want to commit myself. At the end of the day, you have to have a lease in order to sell your practice. You have to have a space unless you come up with a cash buyer and those are super rare. A bank is always going to need a commitment and a place for the practice to operate in order for it to provide money to anyone. And a buyer is going to want that security too. So 
Sellers, if you're listening and you're thinking about transitioning and your lease is coming up or your month to month, do yourself a favor and protect yourself, protect your asset of your practice and negotiate a lease that is the most flexible that you can get, right? Whether that's a five-year term and that makes sure it's assignable over. If you can negotiate with your landlord, maybe the option to get out of that lease for a certain penalty, maybe it's a year's worth of rent payments. You know, think about all these ways where you can protect yourself provide a buyer something that they can then take over if they want, or even if they don't, something that will get them the lending and allow them to purchase your practice. Do not put yourself in the situation where you are without a lease and your landlord can kick you out at any point in time. It doesn't help the value of your practice. It doesn't help the lender and it's not going to help find a buyer. So I can't tell you how many times we've seen this. And I I know it makes sense for maybe the 60 year old guy just to have that month to month lease and feel like this is the best thing ever. But the bottom line is that, you know, in this example, you might have a million dollar business and it might be worth $800,000. I'm telling you right now, it's worth nothing if you don't have a lease because you're not going to have a, a bank that's going to give a buyer that kind of money for this practice without a lease. Why would you risk your life's work on a month to month lease when somebody can kick you out, you know, in a moment's notice? Back to my real estate, you know, mm-hmm. example of my 17 places, I was month to month. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was in there like a two-year lease, and then I went month to month. I didn't bring it up because I was kind of unsure where I was going. I got a 30-day notice. I got kicked out. I had two kids. Mm-hmm. I had to go find a place. I got in a crappy spot. It's just it's not a situation where you want to be in. So mm-hmm. protect yourself, sellers, and understand, too, buyer, that when you come across this thing, chances are banks are not just going to give you the $800,000 for maybe the price of the practice or seven hundred, whatever it is. And then allow you to go to another spot. Because you go to another spot, guess what's going to take place? You're going to have to go finish that space out. It's going to take six months. It's going to be expensive. So now you're going to overpay for your practice. And that's going to be a problem for the bank. So when we first started talking about this, you said, tell me what you love about the space, right? There are times when people love the space, but there's no other option but leasing, right? And sometimes people will say, oh, I can't buy the real estate. That's a bad thing. I don't think that's true, right? I think there are times when leasing makes sense, right? I'm thinking urban areas, right? You have an example from someone, I think, in California, one of those high cost of living areas where it's a million dollars. I'm being very dramatic here. A million dollars a square foot. It's never going to make sense for me to buy in those type of areas, right? Or finish out. And it's just going to make sense for me to lease Because that's financially, again, we go back to this financial thing, remove the emotion. Financially, I'm in a better position to pay a monthly lease than to buy something. Yeah, I'm going to give you two examples and I'm going off script, which I know always just weirds you out. Very nervous. So, so for example, you might get the guy or gal that's an endodontist, and endodontist really have crappy space. I really don't care about that. They could have just broken down complexes in the back, and they're somehow leasing at 800 bucks a month, and they're a little 1200 square foot, two or three uh, practice. And so why would you want to buy the real estate in the crappy section? So it's just lease. It's perfectly fine. And then you might be in the Aspen area. You might be in the Miami, South Beach area. You might be in, I don't know, Manhattan Manhattan, and something where it just doesn't make financial Mm -hmm. sense to, you can't afford it. You're not going to be able to get a million, five or two million or three million dollars or just flat out not for sale. So it's just cost of doing business. So the off script. So at night, I know you do the same thing. We watch these little 
Caribbean, you know, locations. You go to Greece, and this couple's looking for a two-bedroom, three-bath spot. And so we're and by the rocks. way, they're both teachers, or yes. they actually just do charity work. Yes, but their budget's a million dollars. Yes. <laughs> so, but I'm like watching it the other night, and so they're like in Greece, and they can rent this three-bedroom, amazing spot for like fifteen hundred bucks a month. I'm like, why am I gonna own in retirement? I think I'm just moving to Greece. <laughs> Fifteen hundred bucks a month? Are you kidding? I get that for no expense, amazing. no risk. I can then what move to France the next month? I mean, I'm pretty the, sure we get a studio apartment here by the office. Yeah, but I mean, you think about our taxes and the taxes that we pay on our real estate. I pay more than that just in my taxes on my house. And so there are times it just makes sense to yeah. lease, and, and I'm okay with that. We just need to look at that and analyze it. Yeah, we have to look at that expense like we would any other expense of your practice. Is it a good space, good location? It's fair. That's just, you know, what it is. So again, tell us, convince us why yes. you like sell it. sell me, sell me. Do you love it with the, both the practice and real estate? It can be a really good decision. It can be a really bad decision. It's something we have to talk through, and that's what we're here for. Love it or list it? Love it or list it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we have time for today. Remember to subscribe to Transition Talk on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And as always, like us on Facebook and LinkedIn. Have a great week. Until right. next time, friends. See you guys.